Do you mind telling people what you're writing now, Mr. Green? No, not at all. Well, I'm... I'm not, not writing anything just now, but... Uh... Let me tell you. I've asked him to do a series on anti-Semitism. Break it wide open. Been wanting to do it for some time. Do I get a credit line? You? Yes. For what? Well, don't you remember, oh, back around Christmas of last year, that Jewish school teacher resigning? I was the one who... Why, sure. To... I knew somebody was after me, but I forgot who. John, the Jacksons are here. Yeah, all right. I'm always stealing ideas without knowing it, Phil. That's what keeps the magazine original. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Arastlin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched the third nominee for the 1947 awards and the winner, Gentleman's Agreement, starring Gregory Peck, who is still a little too good looking to exist, but is much better cast than the last time that we saw him for this podcast. Though, wow, I have a lot of weird feelings about this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it is weird that this and Crossfire came out in the same year. I mean, it's not, because it's the mid-40s, and there was a little bit of an anti-Semitism problem a few years back. I mean, to put it mildly. Yeah. Well, here's the question. Was there... I mean, yes, obviously, anti-Semitism is a huge issue that is being discussed at this point. Was there a tremendous amount of it in the United States in, like, 46... I'm curious what the context is here, or if it is one of those things where Hollywood gets its hands on an issue after it's no longer very brave to confront that issue. Uh, You know... Not that that really matters for this podcast, but I am curious. I'm a little bit curious, too, whether it's that or whether it's the Hollywood thing of I don't know, there was that year there were two asteroid movies at the same time, you know? That, like, sometimes these remarkably similar premises just... Like, somebody picks up on the cultural zeitgeist and two movies come out trying to capitalize on it very close to each other. Either way, this is similar to Crossfire in that they are both movies about anti-Semitism, but it is very, very different because that was a genre movie that tackled anti-Semitism as sort of the core problem behind its murder mystery, whereas this is a straight-up issues movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it is... Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) It is a straight-up issues movie that both has a really, really good message and one that I think is really solid and definitely still resonates and yet makes... A tremendous misstep in the beginning of handling it that almost ruined the movie for me. And which I still think makes it not as good as it could be. Which particular thing? Because I think the first, like, 40 minutes of this movie are just wild that they're in this movie generally. Because the, like, elevator pitch of this movie is Gregory Peck's character is assigned by a magazine to write a profile about anti-Semitism. And he is just a a normal, waspy Gregory Peck of a man, (laughs) but he decides to go undercover as a Jew to really experience anti-Semitism and ends up finding it in areas of his life where he did not expect it, including his fiance. Yes. But the first 40 minutes of the movie are wild because you are just sitting there with a magazine writer 
watching his creative process at work as he slowly stumbles toward the idea of going undercover. Well, and so I had this experience watching it that was comparable to when you were watching a horror movie and someone is going into a building or down some stairs or down a hallway and you're just like, no, no, turn back. No, don't. No. Oh, God, please don't go that way. Oh, God, you're going that way. Yep, we're go. We're going there. Okay. Okay, we're just... <sighs> Except it was about Gregory Peck coming to the realization that his writer's block would be stopped if he just did what he always did when, you know, when he wrote about coal miners, he didn't just talk to them. He got a job as a coal miner, and when he wrote about whatever else it was, he didn't just talk to them. He got a job as that thing. And through this whole monologue, which is probably a minute long, but because I could see where it was going, felt like it was two hours because I just wanted to pull him back. I'm thinking, being a Jew is not a job. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you don't get to just choose this. And then my next thought was, oh God, oh God, oh God, it's Hollywood. Is there going to be some sort of like Jewish face that he is going to do? And then it turns out that he just tells people that he's Jewish. Like not close friends and family, but, you know, restaurant hosts and hotel bookers and like random people where it doesn't really matter i guess yeah but i definitely had the feeling of like oh god what how are they gonna play this out it's gonna be so bad <laughs> you know you texted me the horror movie thing before i watched this and i had a sort of similar reaction or well i picked up on the same thing and i was troubled by the same thing but i had almost the opposite reaction where my feeling was like just rip the band-aid off if the premise of this movie is he goes undercover as a Jewish person while he is not Jewish, then all of this really long period of hand-wringing of like, hey, is this an okay thing to do, really just makes me think like, uh, is it? like? And then once you get into it, I think the answer is a yes. Like, I think the movie handles it well. I think his character handles it well. But I think that the build-up to it makes it seem like, oh, God. I thought you meant it's going to go horribly wrong in the sense that, from you talking about it as a horror movie, I thought he was going to, like, blithely walk into it. Like, well, how bad could anti-Semitism be? <laughs> and then, like, it was just going to knock him in the face over and over again. And a kind of weird thing about this movie is that that isn't what happens, really. He is surprised by the depth of anti-Semitism, but he goes in with a good plan, essentially. As good of a plan as you can have with this idea. Yeah, to be clear, when I sent you that text, that had just happened. Like, I hadn't seen the rest of the movie. <laughs> And also, I mean, our experience is that whenever anybody in a movie that we've watched so far is like, yeah, I'm just going to be some race, ethnicity, whatever that I am not, they end up putting shoe polish on their face. So I really did not know how they were going to handle this. And then they ended up handling it pretty well, though the 40 minutes of hand-wringing about 
how could I possibly write about this? What is there even to say? And then this being his way of figuring it out was... It, it was just too much. I think you're right that the build up to it makes you feel like, okay, well, what is he going to do? How is he going to do this in a way that justifies how much hand wringing we've had for the last 40 minutes instead of just, well, I'll write application letters to colleges, one under my real name, his last name is Green, and the other one will be Greenberg and see what happens. That's not really a, a big deal. I mean, it's important for the article, and I think that the movie addresses an issue that is a big deal, but that's not like, I'm going to go undercover at the synagogue and fool the rabbi or something, <laughs> which is definitely how I felt like that was going to go. Right, because the alternative is this weird thing, which was the thing I found weird about that scene, was him building up to like, well, I've done all these undercover stories in the past, where I've gone and seen what it's really like as a coal worker, gone and seen what it's really like when they, you know, bust a union or whatever. I'm just going to tell my editor I'm going to do the same thing with the anti-Semitism article I just got. And I'm like, is the magazine editor's reaction not like, yeah, that's why I hired you? <laughs> right. It feels like that's what the brief would have been. So it's weird that he has this month of like lying on couches and going, God, I just can't crack it before <laughs> going like, oh, the thing I always do. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there is definitely something to talk about here. As far as if you want to understand the experience of anti-Semitism, why don't you hire a Jewish writer to write about their experience of anti-Semitism? I mean, today you would not be like, hey, random Gentile writer, can you write about this thing that you never have experienced? And even if you go undercover, we'll only experience for a few weeks. But... I do understand that in, you know, 1947, and actually, honestly, even still today, this is a an issue where people who don't experience certain forms of oppression don't believe oppressed people when they talk about it. Yeah. And I think that was probably even more of an issue in 1947 than it is today. Yeah. And, like, I said that this was the first as tragedy to the then as farce of the Eddie Murphy sketch where he goes undercover as a white person. <laughs> it is that in the sense of there is this secret world of anti-Semitism his eyes are opened to once he decides to present himself as Jewish that really is like a switch gets flipped in just tons of areas of his life, chiefly... Kathy, the portrait of a, of a bad liberal that is his love interest in this movie. Boy, she is too. So that is, I mean, almost all of the plot once this gets going. And I sort of thought like, I don't know. This is a movie that keeps striking me as weirder and weirder the more I think about it and the longer I sit with it. Because I think it sort of handles all the issues and all of the sort of moving pieces of anti-Semitism. This movie deals with self-hate in the Jewish community. This movie deals with the ways that anti-Semitism is both overt and covert. It deals with a lot of really smart stuff, I would say, about anti-Semitism. But it also is just such a just weirdly shaped thing overall yeah i mean i want to talk about actually the self-hate thing because that 
is the only other thing once this gets going that really, really bothers me. Because it is absolutely not Gregory Peck's gentile place to tell his secretary she is a self-hating Jew and give her lectures on anti-Semitism. Yeah. And that made me super uncomfortable. And he is definitely supposed to be, like, doing the right thing. And, frankly, not your place, buddy. Like, go out and tell all of your asshole friends that they are being anti-Semitic, but don't tell your Jewish secretary that. Yeah, I think I sort of forgot that there's never any further twist on that. Like, I sort of sat through that scene thinking, and then we're going to have a scene later because this movie's pretty smart, where we kind of see the environmental reasons why there would be self-hate in the Jewish community. Right. And then you just never really get that scene. No. He just goes like, don't do that. I, You can't use those words. And then end of scene. And then lists all of them. Not just anti-Semitic ones, but like every racist thing, I guess, people used in 1947. Yeah. None of which we will be repeating on this podcast, but, you know, use your imagination, which happened quite a few times throughout this movie. I will say that there were some really, really smart things that are lessons that there are multiple people on this planet who still need to learn today. The first of which is apparently his best friend growing up was this guy named Dave, They're still in touch, but, you know, they don't see each other all the time. And Dave is Jewish. And his first, one of his many, actually, not the first, one of his many moments of working through his writer's block is talking about how Dave was just like he was, only Jewish. And talks himself out of just calling up Dave and saying, Hey, Dave, why don't you tell me about all of the (laughs) anti-Semitism that you've ever faced? Which I really appreciated that that was thrown in there of like, it is not Dave's burden to bear to educate his friend on anti-Semitism, especially if his friend is going to get paid for it. (laughs) That it is his job, both literally because he is being paid for it, but as a person to educate himself on this. I thought that was pretty great. Generally speaking, I think this movie is a little bit Pollyanna-ish about how easy it would be if good people stood up against anti-Semitism. But I think it is generally very smart about the need for people to take individual action to fight the thing and not put it on somebody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, most clearly that is shown through Kathy, the love interest who... She was the one who originally suggested the piece, right? Yeah, her dad is the editor for the magazine, and she suggested this piece on anti-Semitism, and then is like, okay, that's my work done. Right. I did an (laughs) anti-racism. Her very clear problem is that she continually goes like, anti-Semitism is a problem. Can't it be someone else's problem? Right. She doesn't want to deal with her fiance being seen as Jewish, doesn't want to fight back against people being anti-Semitic to him when she introduces him around, when Gregory Peck's character's son from his tragically dead first wife, um, once again, Dean Stockwell in a Quantum Leap crossover, coming to a fan fiction site near you. (laughs) 
<laughs> is taunted at school because everyone at school now believes him to be Jewish, her way of consoling him is by going like, well, that's not true. And not like, they shouldn't be anti-Semitic. Right. Which is kind of the final straw for them as a couple. That he's like, don't talk to my kid like that. And don't teach him that lesson. And then she has the moment where she says, this is what they do. They make people pick sides. And Gregory Peck says, no Jewish person made me pick a side here. What the fuck are you talking about? This is over. Get out. And then they they reconcile at the end after she kind of has a... <laughs> I was going to say come to Jesus moment, ironically, <laughs> but where she figures out that she has to take personal action to fight against the injustices of the world instead of going, that's unjust. Who's coming to brunch? <laughs> and that ending is, it's fine. It's a little bit hollow, but also his other romantic interest is severely underwritten. Her entire character trait is also has a crush on Gregory Peck. Which, honestly, just, I don't know why you needed to establish a character. Right. Like I, I Look at like, the guy. Right. <laughs> Human being with steady job looks like Gregory Peck's single loving father. Yeah, gonna have real <laughs> trouble picking up a chick in New York gonna be tough for him uh, and successful novelist right because that's why he got hired in the first place <laughs> yeah anyway th like we say i think that this with a few stumbling blocks where like yes the thing about self-hate is way too open and shut after school special way too didactic and explanatory and i think there are a couple of other moments that cross that line but i think generally speaking well and what pissed me off about it though is dave is in the movie why is dave not the one talking to the secretary about her the internalized anti-semitism why is the gentile guy talking to her like write that scene if you have to address this which again i feel like self-hating jew is sort of a trope that it's just not a thing that people who are not jewish need to approach period but I think that Dave is actually, I like Dave a lot, and I just would like to have seen more of him in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it does feel a little bit like Dave's character is there as this guardrail. Dave's character is there to go. And just in case you think that this is wrong, here's an actual Jewish person who is basically Gregory Peck, but Jewish, to repeat what Gregory Peck is saying and confirm that it is accurate. Right. That's kind of weird. I think from the point of view of trying to send this good message, I don't think that it's necessarily wrong to do that. I think that that actually structurally makes sense. But it does mean that the movie is just in microcosm. The entire movie is that moment of it's kind of weird to have a Christian man telling this story. And... I think this movie tries to square that circle and does a lot of really smart stuff to try and square that circle, but a circle ain't a square. Like, they are different things. <laughs> yes. 
I hate to keep bringing it back to the Jewish friend, which is what Dave literally is. But he is a bigger character than that in the movie. He's just really charming. He's played by John Garfield, who is doing an incredible job of making this very warm, very developed character. And I just want to see more of it. But he is the one who has the sit down with Kathy, the fiance, at the end and explains to her in this incredibly Socratic way, I guess, why when she was sitting at brunch and she got just so, she just got so mad that somebody made some sort of Jewish joke and she just wanted to tell him off. And he says, and what did you do? Well, I just, I just, I just wanted to punch him in the mouth. Right. But what did you do? (laughs) I thought that that was great. I thought that that whole scene was very effective in the fact that Kathy starts to realize that the reason that her fiance has been doing all of this stuff and making it his problem is because if you don't, as somebody coming from a place of privilege, then nobody is going to and nothing is going to change. That if you sit there and you just don't say anything or awkwardly laugh or whatever when people make anti-Semitic jokes, then they're going to continue to feel okay doing that and it's going to build and build and build until they feel okay doing other things like they talked about in Crossfire. And it was really nice to see that realization come over someone. I think that Dorothy McGuire did a very good job there. I don't know if it makes me happy that she and Gregory Peck get back together at the end. Because I still think she kind of handled a lot of things in a shitty way that's more emblematic of not being a great person than just being not a good progressive. (laughs) But she does at least figure it out. And it is because of her conversation with Dave. Why can't Dave have that conversation with the secretary? Anyway, I'm making like a mountain out of a molehill, I realize. But it just did seem like a very damaging sort of... uh, thing to try to address in this film because it didn't it didn't do it well (laughs) i wouldn't say you're making a mountain out of a molehill i'd say there is a stupid answer to that question which is structurally the stuff with the secretary happens before dave becomes a character in the film and of course you can just move that stuff to later in the movie but i think it's just like that would be harder (laughs) is the answer to that question right okay yeah it's a better choice you're right But it does feel like, to me, one of the things that makes that scene bad isn't that the takeaway is bad. It's that the scene is kind of lazy. It's kind of lazy to have uh, Gregory Peck just kind of monologue about Jewish self-hate and have it be shown kind of out of nowhere and then just go away because he said so, instead of having it be this thing that you know, comes up a little bit more organically and is resolved a little bit more organically, which I would say most of the examples of anti-Semitism in the movie are much closer to that, are much more organic and much more smartly handled. And that seems like, well, kid, let me tell you about this, which, you know, that's the Gregory Peck special. I get it. He could make basically any moral he said in that scene sound reasonable. But the movie in general does a better job than that. And so, in retrospect, it kind of didn't register for me because I just sort of assumed the movie was going to do something smarter with it later because it had generally done smarter stuff than that. 
But in retrospect, I can see how it's a relatively small moment, but it kind of rankles because it does, it sticks out as an example of the movie kind of handling it much worse than it generally does. Thank you for justifying my obsession with this one particular part of the film. I guess also one of the things that frustrates me about this movie is that I think that the message is really good. The bush is not beaten around (laughs) as it has been with so many other message movies that we've watched. And other than Crossfire, which was also nominated in this year, especially movies that supposedly address anti-Semitism. But it's as a movie, very strangely written. Like you said, it's weirdly shaped. And I think that there's a lot of didacticism in this movie that makes it a little bit more like you're watching a series of lectures than that you're watching a movie. (laughs) I mean, versus Crossfire, in this, anti-Semitism feels much more like a thing that can be solved. Yeah. I like the scene in sort of a pat matter. Like, God, I hope it can be solved. But I really like the scene where the magazine editor, having found out that his head of HR essentially is systematically discriminating against Jewish people and not hiring Jews. But I like it because the magazine editor goes, God, I can't believe I let myself screw up like this. Like, I can't believe that I fucked this up so bad. And what I don't like about it is that apparently it is that simple. He calls the guy into his office and goes like, we're not going to do that anymore. Put out a notice that says all faiths are welcome. And then, like, well, all diversity problems have been solved at this company. Yeah, that's true. It does feel very much like you can just fix it in a very simple way in Gentleman's Agreement. Whereas in Crossfire, it's like, you know, there's still going to be sick assholes who don't feel good about themselves and in order to not confront that decide that somebody else is inferior to them. I know this isn't the last movie of the year. And we should obviously rate and say whether you should watch this movie. But I do kind of want to do a little mini head-to-head between this and Crossfire before we end the episode. Because I think it's a really interesting look at what the Academy values in terms of message movies and being important. Oh yeah, I think so. I I think absolutely. It's better to the Academy if you have a white knight who is standing up to everybody yeah. Then if you have a good story, <laughs> if you have some style, I mean, Crossfire, is it a great movie? No, but it's stylistically solid. And I think it's a compelling movie, even if it's not great, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's not a bad movie. It's just, it's not a great film. Whereas this movie, Gentleman's Agreement, is not well-structured is very luxury in tone sometimes. There are things that come out of left field. For instance, they meet this physicist at a party who is Jewish and somebody just says, oh, well, what do you think about Israel? And then he says, do you mean as a, what is this, a refuge for Jews or as a Zionist state project or something but that's never actually talked about ever again and it's like ha 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 isn't that interesting yeah that this jewish person has this not even an opinion just literally asks in what way do you mean but also like who walks up to a jewish person at a party and says oh well hello one jewish person at this party tell me what you think of israel oh i don't know i thought that was actually weirdly realistic (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, I guess there are people who would do that. I get what you're saying generally. And I do think that this movie suffers because, I mean, another reason that sort of 40 minutes of begging off the premise of this film is so strange is how much time he spends going, God, I don't want this to feel like just a recitation of facts and preaching to the choir. And like, versus Crossfire, this is such a recitation of facts and preaching to the choir movie. Yeah, right? Like, you expect at any point for him to just drop in, did you know that there were 135 hate crimes against Jewish citizens in New York in this year alone? And that would feel absolutely of a piece with most of the dialogue in this film. Yeah. It's just that Gregory Peck and John Garfield are incredibly good actors, so that most of the time you don't notice. It really sticks out to me with his mom, Anne Revere, who plays Mrs. Green. Gregory Peck and his son are staying with her in new york because they live in california and she has a lot of these like your dad would be so proud of you and all these tough love moments when he has his writer's block and not gonna tell him what to do that he's gonna have to figure it out and she really drives home the moral being something that you get hit over the head with (laughs) yeah for me anyway i thought that she was like entirely unbelievable (laughs) Uh, yes i mean there are definitely characters in this movie that exist as sort of props more than characters and i do think she's kind of one of the worst examples of that i don't want to beat up on this movie too much because i do think that actually in general like this ain't green book like this is a movie that is trying to be progressive made by a lot of progressive people behind the scenes Uh, The actor who plays Dave is in fact Jewish, which is good. And unusual to this day. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not that it's unusual for there to be Jewish actors, just that actually casting someone in the role of an oppressed person in a movie about oppressed people, it's sadly not a thing you can expect. (laughs) I do think from a screen test of time perspective, there's some stuff in here that hasn't aged fantastically and obviously the way we talk about anti-semitism has changed drastically in the past you know 80 years 70 years but i think the difference between this and uh, crossfire this isn't the best issues movie i've ever seen but in a way the problems this movie has as an issues movie are just kind of inescapable issues movie things you know This is the way issues movies don't necessarily age great, even when they're made well. And it is just this approach of letting a movie kind of exist in a genre, exist as a film, and then having an issue be at the core of that story versus having an issues movie. Mm. Yes. And we should probably rate this movie. Well, before we do that, just uh, one thing I want to... throw in okay yeah i don't think that issues movies age well i also don't think they have to because that's not the point right like it's to raise consciousness for people at the time it's why i think i mean i haven't actually seen green book but you've talked about it enough that i feel like i can speak to this pretty well and you know i'll watch it in like 10 years so yeah let's just pretend i had a time machine and came back from that but from what i understand green book is an issues movie quote unquote that is not actually confronting a contemporary issue that black americans 
face in the same way, right? Whereas there are plenty of issues that Black Americans face today that you could make a movie out of and that there have been movies that have been made about it. I mean, there's so many things that you could do. And I, and, and I get it, but I feel like that's one of the reasons why it's something of a trap for the Academy, right? How do you not pick the issues movie? Yeah. Which in this case, they had two. So they could have picked Crossfire. <laughs> Though I do think that the message is clearer in Gentleman's Agreement. Crossfire is a better movie. I was almost ready to argue the exact opposite thing. Crossfire is a more enjoyable as a like... I'm watching a movie movie. There's a mystery and there's like tension and there's good cinematography, even if it's maybe not even good, but like we were talking about last week that there's very cool genre cinematography and this is not that, <laughs> but you do have Gregory Peck. Yeah. I just think as like a movie that one would want to watch and that while neither of them stands up that well on the screen test of time, Crossfire is a more entertaining watch while also having a message yeah i definitely think that is true and there is a degree to which i feel like weirdly in the same way that all of that first act hemming and hawing about what how is he going to do this what's the movie about that gentleman's agreement spends so much time kind of hitting different angles on the same problem i i do kind of think that there is a clarity in a crossfire kind of putting all of its cards on the table in one scene and just having that great scene with the low-ranking officer and that provides a kind of clarity to its message and clarity to what it is trying to say and what it's trying to do. Mm, yeah. But there is a degree to which this is apples and oranges, obviously. And it's just kind of, what do you prefer? I just keep kind of wanting to go like, I think this movie's like a seven. And I think that's higher than we gave Crossfire. You think Gentleman's Agreement is a seven? Yeah. Oh my God. I think it's a four. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I I was like, what? wow. Okay. Are, I think this movie is above five. Like, I, I could be talked into, like, a six. I think Gregory Peck's doing good work here. I think there are some specifics of how it deals with anti-Semitism that aren't 2020 approved, 2021 approved. But, like, I, I think in general, I'm impressed by how well its handling of the issue holds up. And... I, I think there are good performances in here besides, I mean, I guess it's really just our lead three, um, but I, I don't know. I think this is a good movie. It isn't just an Academy Award-y movie, but I definitely think it won because it's an Academy Award-y movie more than because it's a good movie. Yeah, see, I didn't think it was a good movie, especially because the first 40 minutes are just him going back and forth about how he is going to approach this thing. And I, I can't get over Gregory Peck being this... You know, there, there's a line, right? Like, yes, you should absolutely take action and you should chew out people for being anti-semitic who are not allowing jews to stay at hotels or whatever it is like he, there's a number of instances in this movie where he confronts people about it i cannot get over well i'm a gentile and so i'm gonna tell you that you're not allowed to say these things jewish person it just felt very uh, it felt very much like i know better than you do <laughs> 
which is not the case. And there was no attempt at empathy. There was no, like, can we talk about why you have this perspective? Like, can I reassure you as a Gentile that when I hear someone who is, because I think one of the things she points out is, you know, if she's being loud, that she sort of chastises herself for that, that she is being too Jewish or whatever. Can I reassure you that that is not a thing that I think or that anyone should think? And there are plenty of Gentiles who are loud and obnoxious, believe me. It instead was just like, I'm going to lecture you on why you shouldn't feel this way that you feel because I won't put up with your anti-Semitism toward yourself. (laughs) And it's not the only example of him being a bit of an inflexible white knight, but it is the most egregious. I think it's the most egregious. And I do, I don't want to minimize it, but I do think we, I'm, you are talking me down from a seven, but we have given sevens to movies that have more egregious boy oh boy this has not aged well scenes but this movie is about this particular issue that in and of itself to me is one of those things where it's like okay actually gregory peck you have a lot more to learn than you think you do (laughs) yeah i mean to me the thing that that you argued that really is right and that is clicking with me is like this movie really picks up steam in the back third. The back half, but like the back third is really where it, I think, is hitting on all cylinders. All three of our good actors are here, playing their roles well, interacting in well-written, interesting scenes. And I I think because of that, I kind of hand-waved the fact that the first 40 minutes of this movie are boring and kind of bizarre. I still want to argue this movie's a little bit better than a four, but I do think there's a lot just in runtime wrong with this movie. But I think it is... I mean, I feel like if what you're trying to do is be a movie that is anti-Semitic and you fall down that badly, like, you fell short of passing. Which to me, a five is always a passing grade. I don't think that's that far of a fall. I think that it is a bad scene, but like... You have forgiven further falls because of good costume. (laughs) Like, Shanghai Express has further falls. But Shanghai Express is not a movie that is supposed to be about, I don't know, anti-Chinese sentiment. I mean, that's the only thing that movie could be about. It's either not about anything, or it is, in fact, about trying to say something about, like, China. Right, but that's not the same thing as specifically anti-Chinese racism. And it's not just that one scene, by the way. He does this to her twice, and the second one is the most egregious, but his whole relationship with her, after she, like, unburdens herself and tells him that she essentially changed her last name because she couldn't get a job, his whole relationship with her is him frequently telling her that basically she should be stronger than she has been instead of changing her name in order to you know be able to feed herself (laughs) there's no empathy there and that i I think is one of the things that's a huge problem for me is because then what is the point of anti-racism if it is not empathy you know it's like telling a black person like you can't reclaim the n-word because it's racist that's not my place and nor is it my opinion nor should i have an opinion on it and he is very strongly is like, I'm going to educate you, Jewish woman, about your 
internalized anti-Semitism, and I will not put up with anything in my office that is anti-Semitic. Even your thoughts to yourself. <laughs> that creates a situation of a different kind of problematic liberal <laughs> than the one who's like, I'm just going to sit at brunch and be mad about the racist joke that I heard instead of saying, hey, grandpa, that was an asshole thing to say. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I Yes, I mean, yes, you are correct. But I also think, I don't know, to me, the fact that it sticks out so much kind of makes it easier to pull away from the whole of the thing. But I, I do think like, yeah, it sucks. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, you can give it a seven. I'm going to give it a four. <laughs> I'm going to give it like a 5.1. Like, I just want it to be just slightly better than a 5. And I keep, like, the number I want to do above 5 keeps, like, the limit approaches 5. <laughs> like, it keeps getting closer and closer to giving it a 5. That's fair. But I just, in spirit, want it to be just slightly better than that. Okay, I'll come up to a 5.1 because I think that other than this thing, which is hugely problematic, especially if this person is being held up as, here is how to practice anti-racism and anti-anti-Semitism. Like, no, actually don't practice it in that particular way. But in all of the other ways, he actually is doing a really good job and is really thoughtful and is not putting pressure on his oppressed friends to teach him. And there's a lot of stuff in there that's really, really good. So I'll come up to 5.1. Okay. But also don't ever do that to anybody. <laughs> don't ever do that to anybody. And don't watch this movie. No. <laughs> Some of my coming down from a seven, it was going like, yeah, that really is shitty. But a lot of it was also just going like, oh, right. I watched this movie in two blocks because the first block was super boring. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, don't watch this movie. The issues that it has in being dated mean that a lot of the lessons that it has to teach you are ones you can learn or probably have already learned elsewhere. <laughs> and there's no story that is compelling outside of that. So... There's no reason. Yeah. The strain on the romantic plot is, I think, the most compelling thing. And that doesn't really amp up. The first time it happens, it plays as weirdly a one-off. It's weirdly the opposite of the scene with the secretary, where I sort of thought like, well, that was so subtle and kind of strange that I figure that's all we're going to get of that for the whole movie. And then it doesn't come up again for a little while. But once you go like, oh, this is actually going to be kind of the backbone of the movie in a weird way, I think the movie comes alive and you stop going like, what is this? Is ooh, What's happening? Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty late in the movie, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like 15 minutes before the end? I don't know. <laughs> Where it becomes clear that this is going to be the thing is that she's not committed to the fight. And that the fight itself actually bothers her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so don't watch this movie. And yeah, I thought there was going to be a little bit more of a resistance in my mind. But if it was really down to we have to pick an anti-Semitism movie, the Academy probably should have picked Crossfire. Yeah. It's a more interesting movie. There's a weird behind the scenes level on which this movie was made by people who were very progressive, who directly wanted to take a stand against anti-Semitism. Though weirdly in a way that kind of mirrors your problem with the scene in the movie, apparently a lot of Jewish film executives did not want this movie made and a non-Jewish person went, no, I think it's important to take a stand. <laughs> well, 
Yeah. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> but there is a similar problematic thing of Crossfire feeling free to make some pretty dramatic statements about anti-Semitism because the Hayes Code is like, well, at least they weren't making these statements about how homosexuality is okay that the original novel was making. Right. That's also a problem. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, if we're talking about just what behavior I want Hollywood to reward. Oh yeah, that's this is actually a hard one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I may give it to gentlemen's agreement, but I do think there's something about, you know, this is my whole undergrad thesis is that genre fiction tackling these important issues actually hits people in a way that lets them absorb the message in a way that they don't when they feel like they're being lectured at. Right. And so I wish we encouraged more crossfires in that way. But yeah, like, let's tone down our message so that the Hayes Code doesn't get mad at us is deeply problematic. Yeah, wow. I hadn't really put it into that framework, but maybe some other movie in this year will be better. Yeah, we've got two more. Let's see what happens. Speaking of, next week we are watching Great Expectations. And my expectation that it will be the movie that is better is not so great. Yeah, I've 12-year-old me didn't like the book. Let's see how mid-30s me likes the movie. Yeah, well, and we've also just had total hits and misses with Dickens, and I feel like we are in for a miss now. I feel like the last one was a hit. I think that's true, and I also think that, I mean, Dickens is literally episodic, and so 40s Hollywood, 30s Hollywood sometimes has trouble adapting it into one big arc, because it's not one big arc. Right. And so sometimes that's handled deftly, but when it isn't, Oh boy, it is interminable. Well, and they have a tendency to do the "Oi, Govna" thing to a lot of dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, tune in next week to uh, see how or whether they screwed this one up. <laughs> yeah. And until then, this was a lot of well-meaning white people trying to solve anti-Semitism. And when you got Gregory Peck, that goes better than you'd think, but... It didn't work forever. No. <laughs> uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye. What did you say when you finished? I wanted to yell at him. I wanted to get up and leave. I wanted to say to everyone at that table, why don't we sit here and take it when he's attacking everything that we believe in? Why don't we call him on it? And what did you do? I just sat there. I felt ashamed. We all just sat.